Hello and welcome to Movie Culture. That was a robot voice. That was good. <laughs> Thank you. Tell us about this movie, Josh. Wally was released in 2008 and is Pixar's ninth feature film. The movie was written and directed by Andrew Stanton. If you haven't seen this movie, here's a quick synopsis. And if you have seen it, we will put timestamps in the show notes so you can skip on to the discussion. After the climate apocalypse, the sole inhabitant of Earth is Wally, a robot who collects trash. Wally finds a sapling, the first life on Earth, and is visited by Eve, a sleek robot who is sent to Earth to see if the planet was again capable of life. When she sees Wally's sapling, she returns to the spaceship where generations of humans have waited for Earth to be ready for their return. Wally follows. On the ship, humans have degenerated into helplessness as robots make all their decisions. While the captain tries to put the sapling into the ship's detector, which will make the ship return to Earth, the autopilot robot Auto stops him. Wally and Eve race to put the sapling in the detector against Otto's wishes. And at the climax, Wally, Eve, and the captain succeed, and they send the ship back to Earth, but Wally sacrifices himself in the process. Eve gives Wally a goodbye robot kiss, which sparks Wally back to life. Now, back on Earth, Wally teaches the humans how to repair the planet. Hello, Tay from the future here. After recording this episode, we realized that some of our Wally takes are a little bit spicy. So I think it's important to say up front that while we might be critical of a movie, we are never being critical of the people who like the movie. Also, on a lighter note, we realized that we forgot to do our car crash watch. But there was, in fact, a car crash in this movie. The count grows ever higher. Okay, let's discuss. Wally, what did you think? I think we've had pretty conventional opinions about Pixar movies thus far. Wally is where I'm going to deviate from the norm. I'm not a fan of this movie, Tay. It doesn't do it for me. I think we'll talk about a number of reasons why. I think there are some things it does that are really interesting, some things that it does that I appreciate, but I just think this movie isn't for me. What about you, though? I didn't love it. I didn't connect to it emotionally in the way that I have to other Pixar movies. Hmm. I liked this better than I have on other viewings of it. And I think that it's doing a lot. I really respect a lot of the risks that it is taking and the questions that it's raising. But ultimately, I'm not a huge fan of the way that they have addressed some things. So let's get into it. I want to say, so Andrew Stanton directs this movie. He has done a bunch of really interesting stuff. He did Finding Nemo. And I think the questions that he's working with and the degree of difficulty that he is taking on is really something. We can appreciate that. But before we get into the really ambitious questions that Andrew Stanton is asking, what are the surface level things you really just had fun with? Wally is cute. I'm a fan of Wally. I think you might feel differently. I think Wally is a trash robot. <laughs> 
But I just want to put on the record that you wanted to call this episode a trash movie about a trash robot, which technically is true. It is a movie about trash. But I think they do a good job giving him personality. There's a lot of visual jokes, especially in the first third of the movie when we're really Mm -hmm. just seeing Wally on Earth by himself. And he's interacting with these human artifacts, but he doesn't have context for it. So there's a lot of humor there. I think my favorite joke is in the trash pile, he pulls out a diamond ring in one of those velvet ring boxes. Mm -hmm. And he opens it up and he's examining it and he picks up the ring and he looks at it and then he tosses it into the trash and he keeps the box. And it's just the humor that you get from an outsider looking at human culture and and kind of like the the critique of human culture when when we see this thing that we've put so much value on that you know we're not going to we don't need to get into the diamond industry right now but really having this character come in and say oh this is essentially worthless yeah there are things that are important and useful for Wally that he collects and also things that he finds beautiful and worth keeping for sentimental reasons that are totally different from the things that we feel that way about yeah and i think that those moments are both smart because it is saying something about culture but it's also just it's very funny and and i mm-hmm. think it works so well and You need that. I mean, that's what especially this first third of the movie is writing on is these visual jokes because it's silent. Yeah. Jokes aside, Wally is very charming and extremely emotive. And the movie doesn't work if you don't connect with Wally. And as the audience, you do. And I think the levels at which we did might vary, but you do. And this movie's so charming and funny that you don't really even notice that the the visual color palette is brown yeah so we get to see this planet that is not habitable for humans anymore that has been destroyed through wally's eyes and he he still finds the beauty in it and so we're able to find the beauty as well you're right in this case we don't immediately bond with this world because it's a trash world So to connect with it, we connect with it through Wally, and we need both to identify Wally as someone to sympathize with and uh, and connect with, and then also to see Wally really appreciating this world to show us that we should also. And because the plot of this movie is about getting back to this world as opposed to staying on the spaceship, we need to care about the world. And instead of thinking, no, the world is destroyed and life on board the Axiom seems pretty good— we need to have a real connection. And I do think that Wally's personal charm and the visual jokes and the scene setting they do, the small appreciations that Wally has for this world, it goes a really long way into connecting the audience to the setting. Yeah, I think it's really smart. It works really well. I think it's ambitious and it's cool also that they have real live action actors. That feels so interesting because it's something we haven't seen in any other Pixar movie. It was kind of cool, but also I felt a little weird. Did you like that or did you find it a little off-putting? I actually didn't find it off-putting or jarring at all, which was cool. I, yeah. I think that they pulled it off because it's all holograms and it's it's mm-hmm. all old video. It's scene setting. Speaking of the 
live action footage. I really like the way they used Hello Dolly, specifically put on your Sunday clothes, just as a way to connect it to our world, to make it something that feels not only in the very distant future, but also in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, It adds a level of nostalgia to it. Shout out to my sister. I don't think she listens to this podcast. So if you do, text me, Emily. (laughs) Emily. Calling you out. I can't wait to get a text from you in eight months when you finally (laughs) listen to this episode. Yeah, you know, big Hello Dolly fans here. I mean, I think that you're spot on about the nostalgia factor, which is really interesting because there is so much nostalgia in this movie. I mean, Hello Dolly is a movie set in the late 1800s and came out 50 years ago. Not only do you have Hello Dolly nostalgia, but also Wally himself is very old technology. This is set at the point when humans supposedly leave Earth. It is 2100. Mm-hmm. And yet Wally's technology is completely outdated today. As it was in 2007 or so when this movie was made, when Eve is clearly based off this Apple iPod aesthetic as it was at that point. Mm-hmm. Eve looks outdated now. Right. I mean, it's funny because Wally's sound that he makes when he reboots is the old school Apple computer sound. Yeah. But I think it's so interesting. It's such a specific choice. I mean, even the the artifacts that Wally collects, I mean, he's collecting a Rubik's Cube. He has videotapes. I mean, these mm-hmm. these are this is old technology. And I think that I think that the movie does have some things to say about the evolution of technology and how that has changed us as people. And I think that the movie is very critical of that change in technology. A criticism I have of Wally, the character, is that he is too idyllic. Eve is named Eve because Wally represents Adam. And Wally on Earth is Adam in the Garden of Eden with all of the things that make him so fulfilled in his life. Interesting. And that, you know, I think this is something that is part of a a Christian idea of what original sin means, that without original sin, we would have remained in the Garden of Eden, but you also we also would have remained innocent and without higher pleasures or education or thoughtfulness, right? The apple is the fruit of the tree of knowledge between good and evil. You can have all your toys, but you also don't understand what makes something really good. There's not another level that you can get to. So I think the movie, as far as the biblical allegory goes, is saying that Wally may be blissful before in his post-apocalyptic Eden, but that is incomplete. And there's more to a complete human life than just that bliss. Yeah, I think so. And I think that leads into the big question that I think the movie is asking, which is what makes us human? Yeah, it's a real big question for a Pixar. I mean, for any movie, it's a huge question, but especially a movie that is theoretically oriented towards kids. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the ambition of the movie. It's asking what makes us human? Potentially Mm -hmm. the biggest question. And just a quick aside, to add to that degree of difficulty, it's not just asking what makes us human. It's asking what makes us human in a silent movie without anyone speaking basically the whole time. There's minimal dialogue in the entire movie. It's a big, big swing. Mm -hmm. 
And you can argue if with such a big swing, they hit a home run, they hit a double, they fouled it off or they missed entirely. I know a lot of people feel like they hit a home run. I'm in the fouled it off camp, but you can appreciate, you know, the effort. Yeah. So let's get into it. Yeah. Just thinking about this question and the different ways that they ask it and try to approach it, it feels like there are a few different approaches that they take, which is looking at relationships that we have, relationships that we have with other people, relationships that we have with our work, and relationships that we have with our planet or, you know, our environment that we're in. Yeah, I totally agree. And I feel like maybe just to set the stage I think this is how we'll organize the rest of our conversation. So let's start with other people. So, I mean, the main relationship in this movie is Wally and Eve. Yeah, it's a silent romance. Part of what makes it really nostalgic. Yeah, true. Um, How do we feel about this romance? Do you think that it worked? Were you invested? No. (laughs) Um, That was a leading question. I didn't know that that would be your answer. Do robots have feelings? In this movie, they do. Do, why? I don't, like, I just, we see so much about robots with a job to do and robots with attitude and personality, but who are very focused on their job. And there are these two levels where it is explicitly stated that robots are programmed. There are times when the robot's programming overrides their abilities. With Eve, we see this multiple times. Yes. I'm wondering how the robots gained sentience because they were not programmed with it. At what point does Wally have the desire to learn to dance. I was wondering this too. And I think that it's a really important question for the movie that the movie kind of skirts around. Mm -hmm. But at the end, we see Wally have a restart. So Mm -hmm. he's basically back to blank state programming. He's back to being a trash robot. Yes. And he, he goes, he starts picking up trash, compacting it, his programming. And Eve is trying to figure out, I mean, what happened to his personality. Mm-hmm. And I mean, she kisses his personality back to life. Sure. That's a trope. <laughs> that's fine. Um, but that did bring up the question of this is Wally originally. Yeah. How did he get to the point where we where he is when we meet him? And like him at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And I think there's one reading of it, which is that there's not an answer. Yeah. The the movie doesn't explicitly give us an answer. But also, I think that we can think about it as Wally in these interactions, in his discovering these artifacts, digging through life. Mm -hmm. He's slowly building in each interaction he has, which with these treasures that he finds, he's building himself. He's building his personality and this real love that he Mm. has for his environment. And that love for his environment leads into who he is. It's a nurture, not nature argument about human personality, that we all come out blank slates and who we are is just the sum of the way that we've experienced the world around us. Right. I mean, it's also kind of a question because I believe that he's the only Wally left. We don't see any other Wallys on Earth. We see one Wally who has since disintegrated, who Wally strips for parts. Okay. So, I mean, I guess maybe all the Wallys had a lot of personality and they just had a Wally community. That'd be cool. I feel like the implication is that this is the last moving robot on Earth. Yes, I I think so. But 
I think what I'm getting at is Wally's really the only robot with a personality that mm-hmm. we meet. And some of the other robots, including Eve, develop personality throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. But it does seem like Wally is the only one who on his own without any kind of push or nudge towards certain ideas has just like become his own self. You know, I actually think that Eve has done that too, because when we meet Eve, she is first. I, okay. I just need to say it here. I feel weird calling Wally he and Eve she. It is clear that that's what this movie is doing. I know we are about to talk about that. Yeah. Robots don't have genders. Yeah. But when we see Eve, Eve is uh, mindlessly scanning and then the mothership flies away and Eve goes for a joyride. And we You're see right. Eve, based on her experiences with Wally, continue to learn and adapt. But we do see her also have some personality. And we see that also with the cleaning robot and, and some other ones. I understand that the robots have attitude and the robots have personalities. I don't think that's the same as having feelings. And to me, that is a really important distinction. And that is the bridge between emotional connection. Wally's got some attitude, right? He's a romantic. Eve is kind of sassy. I get that part. But so much of what being human is, is about impermanence and pain and hope and things that cannot just be had through experiences. They're deeper things that you need to consider and dwell on and think through through time and have an active an active consciousness for as much as I can like Wally because of the way that he looks through trash and finds some things and does some things that are funny and and reacts with you know moving his eyes in certain ways I just don't feel like when Wally gets squished I care because Wally is made of parts and cannot fundamentally feel pain. Maybe this is very cold of me, but... I mean, it does just require some buy-in in the suspension of disbelief. That maybe you're just... Yeah, I don't know. Because I, I think that Wally, in the beginning, in his his trash Eden, mm-hmm. hasn't experienced these things like pain and loss and hope and all these things you're talking about. But as the movie develops, he does experience those things with Eve and, you know, their adventure that they're having. We learn later, and this is spoiling the end of the movie, but Wally sacrifices himself and the way that Eve repairs him is by putting in a new memory drive, I guess, which means that Wally is a blank slate. And then she as you said, kisses him back and it's okay. But when he sacrifices himself, we don't know that that's going to wipe his memory. We think that he'll just need to change a few parts around and he'll be back because we don't understand what makes him the way he is. And because of that, because he's just this collection of parts, Pixar in every movie is like, what if this thing that we don't expect to have feelings actually has feelings? I understand that they want us to believe that Wally the robot has feelings, but If it doesn't matter to me that Wally is squished or goes out into the hard vacuum of space. I think that what you're saying is kind of a different problem, which you're so right that we we don't have any sense that Wally's personality, everything that makes Mm -hmm. him who he is, is at stake. We see throughout the movie Wally get 
damaged or injured, electrocuted, thrown into a metal wall. Like he, yeah. he, the movie is very rough on him and he's fine. He kind of just like moves around his eyes and he's okay. Or, or yeah, he yeah. replaces a part. He's a very durable robot. It's okay that all this happens to him. Yeah. And I think that it's more that at no point are we really worried for Wally mm-hmm. because we don't ever have the feeling that Wally's going to lose something and that we as the viewer are going to lose something in this character that we've become invested in. Yeah. So I, I think that there there's maybe the, the problem of not being able to buy into this robots have feelings idea, mm-hmm. but also just that there's a, a bit of a miss with them setting up the emotional stakes for us yeah i will say again it might not be a miss for everyone but i'm just not a big fan of robot stories i don't think that robots have feelings i don't think that (laughs) wally specifically i think he's got personality but i'm not hoping that he's happy at the end of this i'm just not that interested in this and in this silent movie that that leaves you sort of out there. There's not very much else to cling on to. How do you feel about robots having feelings? <laughs> um, I mean, I'm able to buy in a little bit more. I also don't really like the trope. It's not necessarily the most interesting question for me if robots have feelings mm-hmm. and if, if robots will, you know, take over humans, all of that. But I think I was able to buy in more. But the emotional heart of this movie, the, the romance, mm-hmm. is not something that I resonated with. I think it's a bad romance, even given it being between two robots in a silent film. Like the beats, the reasons they like each other at different points, the arc of their relationship, there are just a lot of missing missing beats. Well, yeah, because part of the reason that Wally wants a romance is because he sees it in the clip of Hello, Dolly that he's Mm -hmm. watching. And he sees the man and the woman holding hands. And so throughout the whole entire movie, he becomes fixated on holding Eve's hand. Tay, so much of this movie is about a robot really wanting to hold hands. So much of the movie. Yeah, and and so we, we have to talk about one scene in particular First, Eve comes to Earth, and she and Wally bond a little bit. He takes her into his little clubhouse and mm-hmm. shows her all the treasures that he's found. And, you know, she's interested in this. There is a point when he tries to hold her hand. She pulls away, and Wally kind of pulls back. And and it's good. That's that's. Mm-hmm. A good setup. And at this point, the setup is a real enemies to lovers potential, right? Eve comes down and shoots at Wally, finds him a threat, and then they start to get close. They start to bond. But it's a good setup. Right. And and it's this really clear Wally tries to make a move. Eve is not interested. Wally pulls back. You know, it's, it's respectful. Yeah. However, then... Wally shows her the plant. Eve shuts down and understandably Wally's freaked out. He basically thinks that he broke Eve. So he's trying to take care of her and that's all very nice. He's trying to keep her safe through lightning storms, dust storms, snow, all of that. He develops an obsession with an unconscious woman, robot. Yes, and then it starts to get very creepy and I wish they didn't do this. There's one moment in particular where he's sitting with her at night. She's still unconscious and he really wants to hold her hand. So he 
reaches out and just Eve's setup makes this even worse because her hands are... Her hands are like part of her body. Right. She has to actively... Detach her arms Detach her, her body. arms. And when yeah. she's not, it's just part of her. So Wally can't just reach for her hand. He has to pull her hand mm-hmm. away from her body, even though this is clearly going against <laughs> how she's built. He's just reaching over, prying her hand away from her into his hand. It is really uncomfortable to watch. There's just, I mean, this is one that we can't play the clip, but mm-hmm. it really has this feeling of I mean, she's unconscious and he is being physical with her. And that's awful. It's awful. Sometimes when we talk about this stuff, it's very clear. And I think this is one of these cases that feels like Maybe it's borderline, and it's all about how you talk about it. Because there's a way to describe what happens as two robots are there, and one is in sleep mode, and the other holds the other's hand, and it's not a big deal. And there's another way to talk about it, which is the male character forces physical contact on an unconscious, unable-to-consent female character. And that is clearly terrible. And because they're robots and because it's a silent movie and because Wally just wants to hold hands, we don't think about it necessarily in that way. But we should because that is the lesson that we are all taking away, that if you really want physical contact with someone, it's okay to take that even if they're not able to respond or to reciprocate in any way. And not only is it okay, but it is romantic and sweet. Yes, exactly. Also, the way that Wally approaches this romance, you know, the way that he sees it on TV and then tries to mimic what he sees without necessarily understanding it for himself, really seems to mirror the way that young kids approach romance. There's definitely a phase where they might not necessarily have romantic feelings for anyone, but they will play romance in a way and will Mm. play crushes. And... In a sense, that's what Wally is doing here. And it's actually really meta because Wally the movie is part of this culture. It's part of what kids watching are seeing and then mimicking. And that's why I just, I wish that it wasn't so questionable in the way that it's delivering messages of consent. Mm -hmm. But anyway, we can move on from this. What do you think the movie is saying about how relationships with other people make us human. I mean, I think that it's really trying to do the classic love makes us human thing Mm -hmm. because there's also the human relationship romance with John and Mary who are just two people on the ship who meet accidentally. And honestly, that romance I think is so much cuter than even Wally, and we only see it on screen for a few minutes. I really wanted to talk about that. Yeah, I mean, it it breaks them out of their bubbles that they're in, where they're just in their chairs, surrounded by the screens. Total automatons. Isolated. And this relationship brings them together, and and together they explore the rest of their environment. Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty nice. I like that subplot. And and it's, I mean, it it maybe is more resonant now in COVID times because the people in their chairs on their screens are talking to one another through the screen. But it's really this in-person physical connection that John Mm -hmm. and Mary have that 
connects them not only to other people, but to their surroundings and to themselves. It, it feels like, you know, they're laughing again. They're, they're joyful. They're playing in the pool. And so just in those few minutes, I, I resonated more with that message than Wally and Eve. The first time we see humans in the movie, it's two people who are both speaking on the on the screen to each other, even though they're only a couple feet apart. And you can see that it's not a very meaningful relationship or a very in-depth conversation. And then you see this, who is it, John and... Mary. But based on those two relationships, you know, the the bad relationship that's taking place through the screens and the good relationship that happens when you get off of the screens and you really connect in person, I think we see a lot of what Andrew Stanton and what the movie are trying to say about relationships. And I think it's a little crotchety, to be honest. I think there's a lot of like, kids, get off your phones and talk to people in the real world. That's where real relationships are. I think this movie is really crotchety. (laughs) I think that that is so clear in the nostalgia Mm -hmm. and this whole thing that the movie's saying about technology and the old technology is good and it has heart Mm -hmm. and this new technology is cold and and isolating Mm -hmm. and emotionless. And I think that this kind of leads into the next point about what makes us human, which is the relationship with work. Mm -hmm. I think that the movie is pretty crotchety in talking about this new technology and how it's going to make us all lazy. And I just think that probably the biggest miss that I can see in this movie is this idea of laziness and how people will will lose their humanity when they don't have work to do. The movie certainly shows us beings who are acting like people and beings that are not. And the humans are not acting like people. They're acting totally mindless. They've lost their humanity. Meanwhile, the robots, and not just Wally, but a lot of the robots, the ones that have personality, they're the ones acting like humans. Yeah, this this question again of what makes us human and what makes us less human and the idea that technology makes us less human. What about work? So the movie does such a good job of setting up this really capitalist world with the major corporation by and large. Mm -hmm. And even before they leave Earth, it's clear in the setup that by and large has basically taken over everything. They have a monopoly on what seems like all daily life. Yeah. On media, transit. The government. Consumerism. The government. Yeah. Basically, the, the CEO of by and large is the world president. Yeah, it's unclear. But the person they keep showing as the president is standing in front of a seal that looks a lot like the presidential seal, but it's the by and large logo. Yeah. So it's this really capitalist environment. And on the ship, it's very much the same of by and large controls their whole day. I mean, it controls literally the sun and the sky, this artificial sun. Mm hmm. It controls what they're eating. It controls what they're wearing, what they're buying. The most insidious example Mm -hmm. is when they're teaching babies the alphabet and they say A is for Axiom, the ship that you're on. B is for, by and large, your best friend. Yeah, I think it sets up this kind of dystopian atmosphere really well. Mm -hmm. And I believe that the movie was trying to comment on the way that technology and capitalism control our behaviors. And I think that in a lot of ways, that's even more relevant now with 
social media and these hyper-targeted ads. But the ways that this movie follows those ideas to its logical conclusion don't really sit well with me. In our society right now, the combination of technology and advertisements leads to this consumer mentality. And these systems encourage us to spend our money on products. And these products, in many cases, are what lead to the destruction of our planet right now. The way that we make clothes leads to the destruction of our planet. And the way that we make our food leads to the destruction of our planet. And I think that this could have all come together in a really interesting way. But the way that this movie depicts society feels a little bit toothless. The problem with capitalism, as this movie shows it, is not that it destroys the planet and exploits people and traps them in this never-ending system of spending and working and spending and working. The problem with capitalism in this movie is that it leads to technology and then that technology makes people lazy. Mm-hmm. It feels like this movie understands that capitalism is bad, mm-hmm. but it doesn't maybe understand why capitalism is bad for the people. It it seems to kind of skip over that part. So you have the texture of this evil corporation, but there's not really an understanding of what's evil about it, what's evil about this structure. Mm-hmm. And anything that the humans have in their life that is wrong is is basically coming from their lack of motivation mm-hmm. rather than any kind of system that they're in. Yeah. I think it's through the technology. It's the technology which, by and large, has created. And I think that is a very interesting theory because we do have this pervasive theory that we're talking about in politics a lot right now with artificial intelligence and expansions in machine learning and technology that will take away jobs. Automation, you know, you automate factories, that takes away jobs. There are lots of things like that. And there's a real fear that We are losing jobs to automation and not enough people will be able to work. Now, in the history of economics, there's a lot of research about how technology influences the work that people have done. And the one constant through all of this research is that new technology actually creates more jobs for people than it replaces. And it does this by creating new tasks for people than the tasks that it displaces We can think of something like the computer. The computer has certainly displaced a lot of jobs. It made it much easier to do things like count. So you don't need as many people who are just calculating things. But also you have people who now can have more complicated lives and you need more secretaries and people to do scheduling and people to do IT and maintenance. And then you have all these additional tasks that you have through computer programs that create all this additional work. I have been skeptical that this is a trend that will continue forever, and I think that there is a argument that I take seriously that machine learning and artificial intelligence is fundamentally different from every other technology in human history, in that it will be the first technology to reduce jobs and reduce tasks and take the place of human tasks without creating many more tasks. That's a fear that lots of people have. But to to believe that, you need to believe that we're at a point in human history which is fundamentally different from every other point in the thousands of years of human history. Yeah. Once machines do one thing, 
it will give us a whole new idea of new things to do. Right. But those things maybe aren't things that we need to do in order to survive. Mm -hmm. I think this leads really well into this conversation of what is the purpose of work itself Mm -hmm. when it's not just about survival. Yes. Because ultimately, the reason that they are unhappy and lazy is because they don't have anything to do and they're not doing anything. They're not working. They're not working. And so, so much of this movie seems to be saying that what makes us human is having something to do and specifically having work to do because these people have access to leisure activities. They Mm -hmm. have access, I'm sure, to art and creative tasks. And yet what they are lacking is the need to work in order to survive Mm -hmm. or even in order to produce the luxury around them. They don't have to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. And because of that, they have lost the joy and the love and, and the connection that you get from being human. And then we look at Wally and Wally is Mm -hmm completely oriented around his job Mm -hmm. and there's really no reason for him to be he's the last robot on earth he has no idea that if he cleans up the earth well enough life will begin again and he is dependent on the survival of the human species he has no idea about that he has no reason to care he has no one who is looking over him, no one who's forcing him to do his job. He's not getting paid. He is doing a mindless, easily repeatable job with no benefit. And we see that specifically because there's a scene when he wakes up in the morning and he's kind of groggily stumbling through his morning routine and and he has to turn off the alarm clock and he has to get to work to clock in for no reason at all. Mm -hmm. But Wally is so much more human than any of the humans on the ship. And it does seem like there is an argument to be made that the reason that Wally is human is because of his job. And if we were talking about those interactions that he has with the world and how that's what gives him Mm -hmm. his personality and his humanity, all of those interactions come from his work. The thing that's so interesting is that Wally's not going off and exploring his surroundings and mm-hmm. and treasure hunting on his own. He's doing this in the context, the very structured, rigid context of his job. Look, I think that is absolutely what the movie is trying to say. I think the movie is trying to say labor gives life meaning. That's very dark. Mm-hmm. That's incredibly disturbing. And the movie's saying it for all the reasons you said. Wally is human and he finds enjoyment through his job, but also he does his job just because he has dignity in the work that he does. There's no one looking out for him, no one forcing him to do it, no capitalist forces that are at play. It's just the dignity that a day's work has. And the humans who have only leisure, they have no dignity. Mm -hmm. And I think this is the time to talk about this, The way we know that they have no dignity... Is their size. Yeah. I'm sure that people have talked about this since the movie came out. Of course. This movie is so fatphobic. Oh my god. We talked about the visual humor with Wally on Earth, and I think that is great. But I think that once we get to the ship, there is a lot that they're trying to do with trying to make this visual humor out of the people. And the people being in larger bodies and 
it's not good. First of all, it's not realistic. It's this total caricature of fat bodies. They fall out of a chair and then they can't move. They can't get up. There's this whole scene at the end of the movie where the ship tilts. And I know that you have feelings about how how this... That's just not how gravity works. <laughs> I'm sorry. The ship tilts in zero gravity and everyone falls over with it. There's no up or down. It. Sorry. Go on. <laughs> right. Um, but I think that part of the reason that they have that scene is to show all of the people falling out of their chairs yeah. and not being able to get up. And so all of these people are falling towards the side of the ship helplessly. And it's dehumanizing and i think it's intentionally dehumanizing because they are asking this what makes us human question and they are trying to show us that these humans are not really human anymore and mm -hmm. and i hate that one of the ways that they show us that these people aren't so human anymore is because these they're fat like i yeah. i really believe that's an intentional choice and i hate that that's an intentional choice and i just i don't think that that they did a good job with that yeah also, for what it's worth, that's not what living in zero gravity would do. Watch The Expanse. If you live in zero gravity, you are going to be tall and skinny because you're going to have less force pushing you down. So it's just for a bit. Mm -hmm. And it is just to say, look at these less than human beings. It just is a further point that if you don't work, you have no dignity and you are fat and lazy. And just eating all the time. and Just an endless consumer. And it's just... Like you're you're talking about the literal logistics of gravity not feeling accurate, but also mm -hmm. just what we know of the leisure class. It's just not accurate. Yeah. We know that the leisure class has more time to work out. And I think that that is just a really big reason why I like the movie in the beginning, but the ship world building just doesn't feel thought through. It feels like it has something moralistic that it wants mm -hmm. to say about humanity and it, it's very concerned with the way that technology is changing the way people interact and i think that's an interesting conversation to have and an interesting question to bring up but i think that what this movie is trying to do is is just say that the new ways are bad and it's concerned about screens and people not working hard anymore which has not been true and i'll say it's not a thoughtless argument it is a nuanced, serious argument about how screens are disconnecting us and how simple labor is better. It is thoughtful in the way that it goes through these motions and shows you different beings, whether it's the robots or the humans, who take part in different societies. This is not something that the movie has not thought through. Mm -hmm. It's just that the way that they're thinking through it about how we need everyone to be more like the mindless working machines in order for human life to have dignity and for people to be happy, it's quite disturbing. It really buys into these neoconservative capitalist attitudes. Protestant work ethic. Yeah, that I don't think serve anyone and that have no basis in reality. It's not a political ideology that we should be espousing, and this movie really believes in it. 
Yeah, I think when I'm saying that it's not thoughtful, it's not that the movie isn't intentionally putting this message in, in a really thought through way. Mm-hmm. It's that the message itself crumbles under examination and just looking at the way that yeah. society functions now and the way that it has functioned. We know that people with more leisure use it to better themselves and to take advantage of things. And yes, People are spending more time on screens, but it doesn't make them lose their humanity. Even if nine hours on Zoom every day can sometimes make you feel like it. That's not really what's Mm -hmm. happening. And humanity is also determined on how people act and how culture becomes us and how we all influence culture. And like, even if this is how humanity evolves, that's okay because everyone's, forgive the pun, but everyone's on the same boat. You know, if this is the way that humanity evolves, that's still fine. And we don't need to be moralistic about the way that people live their lives. To hold people by our modern standards is an absolutely ludicrous thing to do, especially when everyone from more than 50 years ago would be absolutely appalled by the way we're living now. And of course, it's not commenting on what people will look like. It's mm. commenting on what people look like now. And and every movie's doing this. Everything made right now, no matter mm-hmm. what time period it's set in, is commenting on life right now. That's a good point. And so they're making a commentary on what's wrong with our society right now. And it just feels like what I was saying about this commentary on capitalism and work ethic, their lens is not focused in the right place. The problem right now is not that people do not work hard enough. This movie has a problem with people who are on welfare and do not work and eat McDonald's. That's who this movie has a problem with. Wow, you went there and I don't think that's inaccurate. Of course, this movie fundamentally misunderstands what it's like to be on welfare and that people want to work, that that is an active desire people have, and people want to eat healthy. The vast majority of food stamps are spent on things like vegetables and healthy food, but those things are more expensive and they're less available in poor neighborhoods. And a lot of what this movie doesn't understand is the way that we have forced society and forced people into really bad positions, and then we blame them for being in those positions. And this movie is all about blaming these people for things that are way beyond their control. Right. And I think blaming the individuals for the system. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I I think that we see in in movies a lot. I think these biases are there. And these are biases that Mm -hmm. I am sure that the filmmakers are not consciously putting into it. The biases. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, these biases inform how they're telling the story. Yeah. I think it's important to point out when you say eat McDonald's, it kind of is specific because a big thing that this movie fixates on is that people are drinking out of these supersized cups Mm -hmm. and even the logos and the way things are designed Mm -hmm. very much looks like fast food. And there's a real emphasis on it's not real food Mm -hmm. because of the way it's delivered. The movie is pretending that it's worried about what will happen to the leisure class, but really they are worried about how they perceive the welfare class. And there's a lot of really interesting theory about fat phobia, where in our society right now, it is more accepted. It shouldn't be, but socially, fat phobia is more accepted than classism. So a lot of fears and anxiety around class from the leisure class looking downward is channeled into fat phobia because that's more socially acceptable. And just so much classism disguised as 
you know, concern for people's health. Mm -hmm. And it does really feel like there's a lot of that in this movie. Yeah. So on our main theme, what makes us human? We've got in-person relationships and work that gives you dignity. But also, Wally is famous for being a movie about the climate and about climate change. And I'm wondering what you think about what this movie is saying regarding the climate. Yeah, I feel like when people talk about this, they're like, the climate movie. To their credit, it's a movie about a post-apocalyptic Earth and is all about if the Earth can sustain life. And that is what the plot of the movie is about, is how to appreciate the Earth. And I think that this is one of the subcategories of ambitious storytelling that I I really respect. I really respect that they tackled climate change in this family-oriented movie that came out in the mid-2000s. I think that's great. I think that our understanding of climate change broadly, not scientifically, because I, I feel like we've had a good understanding scientifically for decades now. Far before this movie. But I think broadly as a society... Our understanding of the climate has changed since then. Mm -hmm. That's not something that I am going to fault the movie for, of course. But looking at it now, it does seem like the movie's very concerned about trash. Pollution. Right. Recycling, like literal garbage. Less about carbon emissions, though. Yes. You know, we watched Cars recently, so it's a bit, mm, the problem is not necessarily that there's garbage that needs to be recycled. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The problem is- It's these clunky, inefficient robots that are continuing (laughs) to pollute the environment, even if they're moving the garbage from one area to another. Yeah, so it does feel like the movie doesn't necessarily get that right. I don't really have a huge problem with that. I don't know how you feel. No, that's societally what people thought in 2007 or so. In the same way that the Lorax thought all about deforestation. Like, we have different ideas at different points about what it is about the climate crisis that makes it really scary. Really, it's all of it. Yeah. (laughs) I did think that it did resonate in the sense of the people on the ship are looking at these photos, especially the captain on the ship is looking at these photos Mm -hmm. of Earth, and then he sees Earth as it is this wasteland. Mm -hmm. The difference there and what is lost, and just this feeling that you get of the beauty that we have we are currently losing it and mm-hmm. will lose it that's really heartbreaking i think that the movie's very optimistic at the end that this ship can just go back and then they'll just fix earth and it'll be habitable again because there was one little sprout yeah i mean there's an end credit scene where people say like look they fixed everything and none of them have any gardening experience that sprout's gonna die Also, is that sprout the only life on the planet? And if so, is it creating all the oxygen that these humans are breathing? Like, the science doesn't make sense. We can move past that. It just doesn't make sense. It's okay. (laughs) Right. I think, though, also this idea of being toothless, like it is for capitalism, really also relates to climate change because the way that people live at least that we seem to see that live on the ship, is still the same way Mm -hmm. that we live today. That is the reason why we're leading to this apocalyptic wasteland. Speaking of capitalism, the ultra-capitalist, ultra-consumerist environment and mindset that we have is the reason that we are causing this climate crisis. And It takes a mindset change Mm -hmm. in order to fix these problems. And this, I actually think, is something we talked about 
recently in Cars. Lightning McQueen doesn't ever change his mindset, and that's one reason why his character growth might not make sense. In the real world, we need humans to have a fundamental mindset change in order to combat this crisis. And the idea that we can just consume all we want and not have to think about the other people around us or the world around us is a mindset that will fundamentally lead to destruction. And it doesn't matter if ocean acidification has dropped to manageable levels, or if carbon dioxide has escaped the atmosphere in this 700 years, if we've got this mindset of always consuming, then we'll continue to consume the planet as we have been. Yeah. And regarding climate change, the messaging on that does seem to be just leave, wait for the earth to fix itself, and then come back and continue to live as we have been without changing anything. That was my issue about the climate change aspect also, that this is not a climate crisis movie because it doesn't show humanity in the crisis or combating the crisis. It shows Or even creating the crisis. Exactly. It shows the results of the crisis. And to me, that's just much less interesting as opposed to thinking through what these problems are and how they can be interacted with. Just because you show a post-apocalyptic world doesn't mean it's fundamentally about the apocalypse. It's just the setting. The setting is a world after a climate crisis. But the movie has nothing to say about why we need to prevent a climate crisis or how to do that or what it would mean to do that or even that our very humanity is at stake if we don't. That is something the movie could really talk about, that look at the absolute dire straits we would put ourselves in. That is kind of outrageous that in a movie that has so much to say about what makes us human and that shows this de-evolution of humanity, it doesn't feel linked to the climate crisis really at all. We started this long conversation by saying what makes us human, it's about our relationship with other people, our relationship with what we do, and our relationship with the earth more broadly. And I think that was a little bit of a trick because (laughs) the movie is saying it's all about those first two, but what makes us human has nothing to do about the earth broadly or about life broadly. I think the movie is telling us that at certain points. What do you think it's telling us? I think that when the captain is looking back at Earth and thinking this is the way that people are meant to live, Mm -hmm. I think that he is, although when he is looking back, he specifically is talking about farming and then their plan is to recolonize Earth. And that does make me feel like This whole idea of needing a mindset shift, like maybe don't think about going and then re-dominating this planet. That didn't work out the first time. But anyway, I, I think that at that point, when the captain is looking back, it is saying that this is how we are meant to live and we're not meant to live in this spaceship. But beyond that, I don't think the movie shows it to us or lays out an argument for that in the same way that it does for romantic relationships or for dignity of work. Mm -hmm. I think that that's kind of just supposed to be implied and understood. And it feels like they could have gone so much deeper and done so much more with that. It feels kind of weird crediting this movie for taking such a big chance and really going for huge themes and then pointing out that actually there was an even bigger theme that they didn't try and address in their silent 
romance. <laughs> but I think that's the most interesting thing this movie talks about. And it might be that in its nostalgic, conservative, if not politically, at least ideologically, in that way, it doesn't really view the climate as such a major issue, especially back in, you know, 2007, 2008, when this movie was being made, there were people who were still in a different place and believed that this was not a very big deal. And I think that this is the most interesting part of the movie and the biggest problem that humans and humanity are facing. When we talk now so much about the issues facing humanity, have to do with climate. And it feels like our discussions about humanity and climate are missing from this movie. The connection is missing between them. It appears at points, but because this movie is so interested in our humanity, it really could have had a lot more. I totally agree. This is totally unrelated, but I think is an interesting thing to end on when mm -hmm. we're thinking about the climate apocalypse and the future and what life will look like and what humanity will look like 700 years into the future. Mm -hmm. There is a project happening in the Yucca Mountain Range in New Mexico that is all about how do we deal with our nuclear waste because we're going to have to put it somewhere and we're going to have to communicate to generations, centuries into the future that this is dangerous. Mm -hmm. And so they've brought on a lot of big thinkers about how to communicate this danger to humanity that will look so entirely different than what we can even imagine, because language is going to be different. Potentially even pictorial language is going to be different. Huh. So how do you communicate this? And the thing that all of these big thinkers eventually landed on is that the best way to tell humans 700 years into the future that this is too dangerous for them is to start folklore now. Basically, to appoint this atomic priesthood to be the keepers of this story and to bring storytellers in who can create these stories that will last through centuries surrounding this mountain range that these stories will be so encoded into civilization that people even down the future will know that they can't cross these boundaries. That's so interesting. Yeah, I think it's so... I mean, first of all, it's very dark that, mm -hmm. that they have to do this in the first place. But it's so interesting to think that no matter what, even though humanity is going to look different than we can possibly imagine, the idea that people will always be telling stories and we'll always be telling stories to each other and connecting mm -hmm. in that way. And that is the thing that we can rely on in the past, like looking all the way into the past and then looking all the way into the future is that mm -hmm. we will be communicating in this way. Yeah. And that really shows the power of these stories, both for good, as you're saying, that they're really powerful messages and important messages that will really help people in the future. And also for bad, that we see the ways that dangerous ideas about work and about, you know, about consent in relationships mm -hmm. can be codified into folklore and language. And whether it's talking about the agency that Helen of Troy had in determining her husband and starting a war, or about a robot holding another robot's hand 
when said second robot, who's clearly the female robot, is also in sleep mode. Mm -hmm. We have codified these ideas that women don't have agency. Mm -hmm. You know, we are not distinct from other points in history. We are living through a continuous cycle. And that means that we are not just reflecting on the past, but we are determining how to move in the future. And what you're talking about is a very deliberate movement towards a more practical, desirable outcome. And we've spent so much time and so much energy on stories that don't give themselves that credit and don't think of themselves as part of this tradition and as part of this force that constantly defines and redefines what our culture is. And I think that to its credit, Wally understands that it is part of this culture, but it doesn't do it thoughtfully because it it is regressive and it puts us into a worse situation as opposed to thinking about how we can heal and how we can treat each other better and with more generosity and grace and how those are the stories that we really should be telling and encoding and further ingraining into not only our storytelling canon, but our collective human psychology. Yeah, totally. And the stories are so powerful. And that's that's why we talk about these things, because it's so much more powerful to receive a message through a story. Mm-hmm. You know, for Wally subconsciously to tell you that work will make you human mm-hmm. versus you know, someone telling you, your boss telling you, work hard. Yeah. It affects you differently. Of yeah. course it does. Of course it does. Yeah. So, so we have to be cognizant of what stories are telling us. Right. And the stories that we let in not only to our homes, but into our heads. And into our hearts. Huh. Hmm. Well, on that note, next time on Movie Culture, we're going down. Nope. Uh, wrong direction. Oh. Where are we going, Josh? I think we're going up. Oh, up. I thought that was good. That was B, B plus. Whoa. (laughs) Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars only. (laughs) We will see you next time for Up. Emily, tell us when you listen to this.